Welcome to the Fordham IPLJ podcast with your online editor, Anthony Zangrillo. This week I'm joined by staff member, Andrew Washburn. We're going to be talking about a little bit in the movie industry. Movie ratings, are they protected by the First Amendment, but not protecting kids, as well as some filtering software cases, such as the recent VidAngel decision. So Andrew, why don't you, you wrote a blog post on this back in December, so you can introduce uh, the movie ratings topic. All right, so in November, uh, Judge Richard Seaborg granted a motion to strike a complaint against the Motion Picture Association of America and National Association of Theater Owners, movie rating companies, um, claiming that the uh, they, they were acting negligently and putting children at risk of becoming addicted to nicotine by featuring tobacco imagery in films that are rated G, PG, PG-13. And the complaint actually specifically stated that 200,000 children every year become addicted to uh, tobacco, as well as 64,000 of them die as a result of this, just from the imagery in those G, PG, and PG-13 movies. Now, what do you think about that? I would say G is a little ridiculous. It probably shouldn't be in G, but PG and PG-13... Do you really see anything wrong with that if they had, like, let's say, tobacco usage or something like that? I mean, the big thing was what they were saying was that the, you know, the movie, Judge Seaborg said that the ratings were just opinions and they weren't really commercial marketing, um, which is kind of crazy. But, I mean, for PG, it's still, you know, the big thing is parental guidance advised. Mm -hmm. Um, G is just, you know, guidance advised. Um, And what he just said is that, you know... It's not saying that you need a parent to be there for this or that children are allowed to see this. It's that, you know, parental guidance is advised because it may contain things such as tobacco imagery. Yeah. So, you know, I looked at a little bit of research on this and we're looking at all these um, animated children's movies. Um, say, for example, 101 Dalmatians had over 299 instances of tobacco use in, how, in the film. that's how cruel the bill stays thin you know what i mean like i remember her puffing away and all that stuff but uh let's see oh alice in wonderland is a great one because yeah. he's like uh that caterpillar you know that's like the opium den or whatever it is he's just puffing away um anything else on this list strikes you um let's see here we got Space Jam, 117. I mean, to be honest, I don't even remember the use of it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Space Jam. Was it Sir Charles? I, I hope did. it was Sir know. Charles. I, gotta, I guess I gotta go back. I don't now. think they really touched on his gambling addiction in that one, but they should. <laughs> I mean, there's... I. The crazy thing about this is, I mean, I think of movies that I watched as, you know, mm-hmm. PG, PG-13, and I don't really... I don't even notice the tobacco use. Uh, especially, you know, do, do you feel the same way? I'm trying to think of, like, animated films. Normally, no. I don't think. I remember, like, biggest thing when I was a kid, I remember a lot of, like, people protesting and stuff. I guess it was later, though. I wasn't born when this movie was out. But Superman 2, the older one. I remember that Superman was thrown into a Marlboro truck. Back then, you could have, like, the cigarette companies and stuff like that in the movies. Now you can't anymore. But, uh... It's interesting back then. Like, what was it? It wasn't Pinocchio on that list, I think, or something like that. And it's true. I do remember that one because they were trying to say in that scene it was all the bad things, you know, that little boys do, I guess, or something like that. I mean, it didn't affect me. 
I could see it affecting other kids that maybe they were exposed to this for the first time, which is a little crazy, but does make sense in a way. I mean, I think the movie that I mean, movies that featured it in like a significant scene. So, for example, you know, the Sandlot movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the scene where they uh, get the thing of chewing tobacco and they all go on the roller coaster and end up puking at the end of it. And I mean, obviously, I remember that because it was a very important scene. But this is just instances. And, you know, they were saying that, you know, they're, they're not really focused on individual scenes. They're focused on just the fact that some guy could be smoking a cigarette on the sidewalk while the movie's going on. And they're trying to say that the movie uh, rating companies are actually should be liable and are negligent for this. Yes. I, I mean, the whole thing is... At the time now, they, they should... But see, that's what's weird. These movies are so old, some of them, right? Mm-hmm. When we look at it, like Pinocchio. So are they basically saying that now all future versions should have this taken out because it's a different time period? Because that would be really weird if they try and say that they're negligent for something they did, like, let's say, 60 years ago or something like that. Or I guess it's just to change the rating. So now Pinocchio is an R-rated cartoon. because of that way i mean there's a lot in it and we don't talk about um the donkey scenes as well you know if that could scare kids a lot you know they now all of a sudden be turned into a donkey if you smoke (laughs) but who knows um i would say let's get back to now the actual decision that took place in november what do you think of ratings are they pure commercial speech or what the judge says that they're just opinions I honestly think they're pure commercial speech. I think it's, you know, it make or makes or breaks a movie. Um, I wasn't allowed to see rated R movies by my parents because mm-hmm. they, until I was, I think, you know, of the right age because they didn't want me being um, exposed to that type of content. It, they used that commercially to decide what types of movies I could rent, yeah. what type of movies I could go to. And, you know, they stuck neg- like they stuck to it because you can't, find out about that until you know you go to the movie theater and watch the movie you can't tell like hey this movie's bad for you like what is my parents gonna go and watch every movie before i go to them and then be like okay you can go to that one that wasn't a bad pg-13 movie yeah that was a bad pg-13 movie they you know it's really used commercially to you know attract the types of audiences that they want at these movies there's a website now i think that like tells you every bad scene like ahead of time or something like that. Uh, but, you know, back then they didn't have that even, like, with us in the 90s. But it it seems interesting, like, when you look at what the judge was saying. He's like, the underlying product, the film, is not a mere commercial product, but an expressive work. So, like, in my note that's getting published, I talk about this a lot, that it's true. Movies are expressive works, even though there is a commercial element to it. I just feel like with that industry, the ratings industry, it is more of like a commercial aspect than an opinion, even though I guess it does serve like a public purpose. So you could kind of argue it's not really in terms of like making money or not. It just has such like drastic economic effects that I would say it has more of a commercial speech element than they were actually like giving credit to. Yeah, yeah credit to. Um, yeah, you look, I mean, it was a, it, it was filed under the anti-slap statute, California's uh, 
that the cause of action, they just dismissed it. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. they didn't even really, he didn't really look into it too much. The judge just kind of said that the case has pretty much no chance of even making it to the appeals circuit. So this was a huge decision. And I'm honestly, when I was writing this up, I was trying to think of other ways that, you know, consumers can be protected from this type of things, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, I mean, I thought the movie rating system was the best avenue to be, you know, most commercial avenue of films to go after. And obviously it's going to be after this decision, it's very grim that that's going to even happen <laughs> as well. Yeah. So. I mean, then what do you think, how would they be able to prevent it other than through the rating system, the adolescent exposure to on-screen smoking? I mean, that's, it's pretty difficult. I mean, it, the only other thing I can really think of is sort of a consumer, you know, like an economic approach where consumers kind of maybe start push boycotting. Those of, yeah, push, push those type of movies out of the, you know, industry because, you know, make the, make the movie companies too afraid to put tobacco use or something because they are boycotting and less it, drawn to it. But it, I mean, that's the other thing. It doesn't seem like it's happening anymore. Right, like new films, let's say Moana or Zootopia, is not featuring this. It's just from the bygone era, almost. If if you look at that list, right? Well, he's he's caused. She's saying it causes two hundred thousand children every year. So I think this complaint is actually more worried about the future, to be honest. So I think it's worried. So about I'm the just future. trying to think, right? Do we do we still see a lot of that? That's I mean, the thing. I don't yeah. even notice it. That's maybe PG thirteen. Yeah, PG-13. I could see like maybe some of the Marvel films or something like that. Because he's saying if you have, and that's another thing, if you just have one smoking scene, are you automatically branded an R rating movie, or is it like how many times does it show up? I mean, that's another like whole conundrum. And I mean, the crazy thing is, this was only against tobacco use. We're not even talking about alcohol and drug use. You know? Yeah. I mean, alcohol, We I pulled up the list. That would be much higher. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you're looking at Sleeping Beauty, there was 113 references to alcohol use. <laughs> what? That's another defense for Sleeping Beauty is the best princess, Princess Aurora. <laughs> That's another topic for another day. But, you know, I mean. Good on Snow White, zeros across the board. No tobacco use, no alcohol use, but poison apples were used. So I think we should add one. That's like a little bit of drug use or something. I don't know. She basically got roofie. But... <laughs> oh, man. But, so, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, the other attempts to do so, you're talking about, you look at this uh, VidAngel case that you you know, you brought up to me and uh, about them being able to screen it, but mm-hmm. that's another, they're, they're facing another sort of legal. So yeah, that's another thing we'll transition to is what if you own the copy, let's say, of a movie and you want to, you know, filter it and change it. So let's say you want to watch Pinocchio, but you don't want that scene with all the tobacco use. Now, so originally under the Family Home Movie Act, which in a surprising way was um, lobbied by one of these filtering companies, Clearplay, his CEO, you can do that in your own home. That you're allowed to, you know, change the copy and you can decrypt it, filter. But if you are like a commercial company and you want to do the filtering process for other consumers, according to this VidAngel decision, no, you'll be violating um, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act 
as well as infringing uh, the movie studio's ex exclusive right to publicly perform under copyright law. So what was this company, VidAngel, really doing? It, it seems like they were looking at a previous decision, that Aereo case about the cable, you know, little antennas, that basically they would purchase physical copies of DVDs and then they would uh, decrypt them and make a stream. So you're basically making another copy. Then they would like tag all the different objectionable things. So like, let's say if it was Deadpool, you had like violence, sex, or whatever it was. And then a customer would purchase the DVD online, usually never received the DVD. The company would just put it aside for them and then give them access to a stream. And then on that stream, you can't watch it unless you put at least one of these filters that um, tags for objectionable content. And basically, you'd be paying like a Redbox fee, maybe like a dollar a day, because even though you bought DVD for $20, you could return it to them the next day for 19 So uh, what do you think of that business model, first of all? I mean, first off, I'm kind of I'm, I'm curious as to how they make a lot of money, you know, on $1 rentals, you know, you think about even blockbuster and all of them just having difficulty you know doing the movie yeah. rental business for five dollars and huge late fees so it's kind of crazy that this is a sustainable business model to begin with additionally i mean i, I really i mean i really like the idea it's a mm -hmm. pretty good way for consumers you know to kind of combat to actively combat you know the tobacco and alcohol use on their own sort of, uh, I guess, dime. Yeah. I mean, what is it? The main, like, I would say almost propaganda because they were, when they were going through this uh, suit, their site was just insane with all these different, like, things against Disney and stuff like that. But they're saying it's directors, you know, choose what you watch. But now this is giving you, like, the choice that you get to change their film to watch it how you want to watch. And, you know, there's an interesting argument there. Well, the director made the film. So if you don't agree with what, you know, he put in the film, maybe you shouldn't just watch it. At the other time, if it's just that you are, um, let's say, mortified by certain scenes, isn't it your freedom that you should be able to take it out and watch it? The problem is when you sell it, I guess. That becomes the whole thing. So it's like, but I mean, I kind of like empathize with certain families that may not be able to decrypt it they may not understand how to filter yeah. that's the whole thing that it seems like they're providing a service but uh the court didn't see it that way uh they basically um uh what is it approved a preliminary injunction stopping uh the vid angel service and uh, basically without going like too deep into uh the opinion one of the things that i thought was really interesting is you know, one of the fourth factor for a preliminary injunction is whether it's in the public interest or not. And they basically cite to, well, on Google, this other service, Clearplay, already does it. So we already have a service like this. It's more important to uphold copyright protection. Their counter on their website and in their briefs was the idea that, let's say, Lionsgate and Sony wanted to work with VidAngel. They weren't really happy with the Google system because it wasn't on all platforms. It was only basically like YouTube and like on the computer. Is this like a way, do you think there are some antitrust issues here that it, it seems like Disney is possibly colluding with, uh, you know, 
Google and this ClearPlay system that they want control? I mean, it's difficult to, you know, kind of pinpoint that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's definitely, when I read about the case, you know, it seems seems like there's a little bit of, you know, antitrust going on where they, you know, do want to, you know, control it because, you know, obviously they are making these movies and by taking out, you know, if you're looking at some of these Pinocchio, 223 things of tobacco use and 80 instances of alcohol use, you take all those out, how much of the film is going to be left, you know, and how... Well, I think the they were all in one like scene. If I remember, well, actually no, because oh, there was some of the villains had it too randomly. That is true. You take it all out, and how well does first off the service do it? Mm -hmm. You know, does it just take the scene out, and you're just mid sentence, and it just jumps to the next part? Oh or, wow! Because you know it. How well does it work? And obviously, I think they probably want some control over that because mm -hmm. you know it really distorts the quality of. Disney and Disney's brand and, you know, the movies they provide if, you know, kids are getting these choppy kind of unclear movies versus, you know, the product that they put out and directed for a specific purpose, you know, and I think definitely having sort of VidAngel do it versus, you know, Google or mm -hmm. Disney being in control of it, they're, they feel like they could be significantly impacted. Because it's weird, because we see these filtered copies all the time. If you ever watch a movie on, like, basic cable, or I think I was watching Deadpool on a flight recently. They took out the whole, um, you know, sex holidays. There was a different holiday. They had a different sex scene yeah. or whatever. That was not on there. Probably just in case, you know, the old lady behind me or something saw the screen or something like that. So it, it could be possibly the studio just wants to control the quality of their own content. And that's the reason why they don't like this. That they, if they want to filter it, they have to be the ones doing it themselves. Um, it just seems like these copies are usually not available. Like it only has to, let's say it's through cable or through something like that. It's not available, let's say, day one. That was one of the things that they were mad about. Basically saying as soon as um, the movie went like day one digital or you know came on DVD, they could start doing this. And let's say... Now Disney has this, you know, deal with uh, Netflix that Captain America Civil War right now is on Netflix. They want that streaming maybe first rather than VidAngel offering this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of different economic interests at play behind this, you know, seems like a good service, but there's ulterior motives on both sides. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean... What what's your opinion, I guess, kind of on movies that do crop out scenes? Like when you watch it on TV, do you think it significantly impacts the movie? Mm -hmm. Or do you think it's, you know, not a big deal that they do it? How have you ever had like any instances where you were kind of just like, Wow, I wish that scene was on the T V version? I think you have to think about the audience. So for like let's say us and older adults I think then it would ruin possibly the movie and stuff like that. It's not the same watching it, you know, on cable and it's shorter and stuff like that. But for a kid, and if your main goal is to keep them protected away from this material, there really isn't anything wrong. And you could almost be like the kid now, you know, saw the film or saw, some, saw, saw something like it. 
that's why it's like a really weird and interesting like dilemma. Um, cause, cause I would say, you know, let's say for Pinocchio, if you did that and you took out that scene, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, sure, it changes a little bit of the film, definitely like the message of the film, but you just, how many kids actually were impacted by that scene anyway and got the message from it? Who knows? You know, I don't know if they changed their life from it or something like that. Yeah, this one says two hundred thousand every year. Well, not even <laughs> not even that. So it's like how many? Because I would say the message in that film, right, is when all of them are drinking and smoking and stuff, they get turned into donkeys. <laughs> so it's like I guess it's like uh, doom and gloom. You know, scare people away from it. Hey, maybe <laughs> some kids want to become donkeys. You never know. <laughs> you never know with minds a little bit impressionable. <laughs> You gotta keep that clean words, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we will stick with donkeys. <laughs> so I think Disney was going for something else there, but. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, you think if things like VidAngel aren't gonna be allowed to do this, if movie rating companies aren't gonna be held, li- held liable to do this, I mean, do you feel this is a valid concern for the, uh, guy who filed this uh, class action suit. I mean, I, Timothy Forsythe obviously thinks that, you know, he's, I, I remember reading he was a father. Um, he mm-hmm. didn't want his kids kind of exposed to this, you know. In a weird way, right? You, you gotta like probably analyze more of that Family Home Movie Act. It's weird though, because then he can't see it in theaters. So he has to wait. But I guess that's the price that he would have to pay. But it looks like there is a way already for him legally to change the copy of the movie for personal use. The question then becomes, I guess, if he's not, you know, technically literate or something like that, that he's not able to do it, then he is in a problem. But I think he's trying to, which I never like when they do this, trying to impose his values on the society at large. And it, it seems like it's already been done for like new movies coming out. I would say PG-13 is different, but let's say for for G films, definitely. I think if you have tobacco or alcohol use, you're not getting a G rating, mm-hmm. but you know, you could back in the, in the past and maybe those should be updated. But PG, I'm not sure. I would have to actually like do my uh, research on that. I feel like with PG-13, that definitely comes up, especially with alcohol, but with tobacco, I feel like they're not going to give it an R rating if you have, like, a tobacco scene. But I would make even the case that the target market, you know, the problem is the, the PG-13 movies. Yes. Because that's the age, you know. Everybody's watching those. Everybody's watching those still. But at the same time, that's probably the age that most people think about starting smoking. You know, you don't mm. have, like, seven-year-old kids who are picking up packs of cigarettes. But, you know, PG-13... You know, you have in New York City, I mean, what is the law for chewing tobacco? It's 21 years old now. And yeah. It, right. Cigarettes, it's 18. Um, you know, obviously New York City thinks that, you know, to be able to smoke or make that decision, you have to be of 18 or 21 years old. Yet you got these kids who at the age of 13 are seeing tobacco and alcohol uses constantly throughout the films. And it, just like yeah. you said hasn't been filtered out. And there's no, I mean, with this VidAngel problem, uh, 
might not have parents might not have the ability to do so. That's tough though, because the PGA team would be crazy if they can't put any of this stuff. Oh, you know? I know. Because that's the thing, you know, it's going to go further. That if this worked, you're going to see another group come out and try and say like, no, if they have this in, it has to be an R rating as well. You know, something like that. Like, imagine if they were not even able to allude to a sex scene in a PG-13 film. I know. Something like that. So the only thing I'm thinking is maybe they could, they might have to, you know, revise the entire rating system. It's very... (laughs) Yeah, I already... I don't even know where I stand on that stuff, right? So what was it like? I don't know what Force Awakens, what rating it got. But I guess we can look that up, but I know uh, episode three got a PG-13, while all the other uh, Star Wars films were always uh, PG. How, like, this stuff has changed over time. That, you know, is is that, I think episode five, te- well, episode three, I guess, is the darkest. But when you think about it, episode five had some adult themes in it, it could have gotten a PG-13. No, it's PG. I don't think Force Awakens really had that much... I guess there's some stuff Kylo Ren does that maybe is a little too violent for kids. It's interesting. I'm trying to think back to it, and yeah, I don't really... I mean, it got a PG-13 rating, and I don't remember anything that, you know, was too... that stood out to me, I guess, that it should be like, wow, this movie should be, like, not for kids. Um, but Just looking at it, most of they say is violence. I guess I do remember in the beginning the blood on the Stormtrooper helmet and stuff like that. But, yeah, rated PG-13 for sci-fi action violence. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, it seems like a pretty strict rating for it, to be honest. But, yeah. I mean, I guess, where do you, I, I don't know how to draw the line on these ratings, to be honest. You got, what do you value worse? I mean, I guess, lightsabers. <laughs> are, are making kids making the radio cut PG-13. people's hands off that's what they're doing true true but I guess you know I, I get the concern for I mean Mr. Forsyth on this where he sees tobacco use and as more of a real life problem you know yes <laughs> yeah. and it's uh, difficult you know that the only other rating do they have any other ratings other than PG-13 to R? Is that just the jump? There any? is. Um, so what's interesting is PG-13 was made up thanks in part to, I believe, Steven Spielberg. Because it used to be PG jump to R. There was no in-between. And, you know, Steven Spielberg was the first, uh, you know, summer blockbuster film with Jaws. But I think it was around the Indiana Jones days, but I'm not entirely sure that he was able to petition to get PG-13. And that basically was the sweet spot that they could do more violence in the film and adult themes, but not so much that it's like the restricted, you know, dead zone kind of thing. Now now we're in an era, right? Like, so, you know, Deadpool came out last year, uh, Logan's coming out next week. And it's like, now you can make a lot of money on our films. Yeah. Back then, it was like very hard, you know, very different time, you know, mentality in the marketplace. But um, that's the whole thing. PG-13 was just invented. So right now, we have nothing else. And I don't think you're probably going to see anything else come about. But there is something I know over R that's like, you know, what is it? X, I guess, or something like that. 
where it's like totally insane kind of movie. Um, there's always, I think they use it more as a threat against our films, you know, yeah, like maybe a Quentin Tarantino film like or something like that. Art. It's a new art for back then. But you know, uh, you ever see, uh, what do you call it? Um, Kill Bill. Yep. The first one, it's in black and white. If it wasn't in black and white, uh, some of the violent scenes, it would have probably got an over R rating because that's how he was able to get away with it with the blood because there's so much blood in the film. But uh, they, they find little things like that. So any uh, final takeaways on this? I guess, uh, I mean, keep your eyes posted for an appeal on the uh, the movie rating suit. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like it's... Not might it's unlikely to happen, but you never know. Uh, obviously, it's a uh, sky is very into uh, you know combating the movie rating system and trying yes. to cure it for his kids. And you never know if he uh, might strike a chord with the Ninth Circuit. Well, the Ninth <laughs> Circuit, you never know what they're going to do. So, <laughs> okay, uh, thank you for joining me, Andrew. Uh, we'll have. Let's see. I know there will be a podcast coming up on, um, what is it? The balance between the First Amendment and basically trademark rights, which was a note that I wrote uh, coming up soon, as well as uh, a lot of different interesting topics. Uh, always stay tuned to FordMyPLJ.org for other different blog posts and whatnot. All right. This is Andy Zagrillo. See you later.